0: Hello and welcome to the final report on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 12. In this episode, we'll continue chapter 3 and the learning about the fake electors and the president of the Senate strategy. Reading this portion of the report will be Owen Thomas. So without further ado, let's continue. 3.4
1: Some of the proposed fake electors express concerns about the plan The Trump team's fake elector plan raised concerns not just for several senior officials, but also for some of the Republican activists being recruited to be fake electors. Findlay told the select committee that there were definitely electors in probably most of the states that had concerns about this process. After being tasked with reaching out to the potential fake electors, Findlay notified his colleagues on December 10th that a lot of questions are arising from them. He also noted that an RNC staffer seconded to the Trump Victory Committee requested a call with the PA electors and or leadership to address concerns, which may be necessary to get people to appear. The Republican Party of Pennsylvania's general counsel relayed several specific concerns to the Trump campaign via email on December 13th, warning that, we're getting call from concerned electors, he elaborated as follows. I'm told that on the call with the electors, they were told that the ballot form would be conditioned upon ultimate certification by the governor. Indemnification by the campaign if someone gets sued or worse, charged with something by the AG or someone else, and the receipt by the electors of a legal opinion by a national firm and certified to be accurate by a Pennsylvania lawyer. What was sent was a memo by Chesbro not addressed to the electors and no certification by a Pennsylvania lawyer. To make it worse, Chesbro describes the Pennsylvania plan as dicey and there's no indication by anyone with authority that there's any indemnification authorized by the campaign. Pennsylvania GOP chairman Lawrence Tabas informed the select committee that his state's fake electors never were indemnified by the Trump campaign. When Wisconsin Republican Party Chairman Andrew Hitt was notified in late November that the campaign wants to list of electors, he texted his executive director that, I am deaf concerned about their inquiry and that, I hope they are not planning on asking us to do anything like try and say we are only the proper electors. On December 12th, After Hitt received a message about a phone call with Giuliani to discuss the fake elector issue, he texted a colleague, These guys are up to no good, and it's going to fail miserably. Despite such concerns, Hitt and many other fake electors participated anyway. Even so, 14 of the original Republicans who had been listed as Electoral College nominees on the November ballot bowed out when the fake Trump electors gathered in December, Former Michigan Secretary of State Terry Lynn Land declined to attend, which the state's GOP chair, Laura Cox, told the select committee was because, I think she just said she was uncomfortable with the whole thing and that she has her own beliefs. A senior advisor for the Pennsylvania GOP said that Chairman Tabas did not serve as an elector because Joe Biden won the election and it was Biden's electors that were certified. Former U.S. Representative Tom Marino Republican from Pennsylvania, said he backed out because, I'm a constitutionalist, and, as a former prosecutor, when the Attorney General says that he's not finding anything there, that's good enough for me. The other 11 dropouts included a Georgia state lawmaker, a former state party chair from New Mexico, two former state party chairs from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania's RNC National Committee woman, Other participants asserted that they would have had much greater concerns if the Trump team had been more forthcoming about how the fake electoral votes would be used. The Trump campaign's director of election day operations in Georgia told the select committee that, I absolutely would not have wanted to participate in organizing the Trump team's fake electors in Georgia had I known that the three main lawyers for the campaign that I'd spoken to in the past and were leading up were not on board. He said he felt angry because no one really cared if, if people were potentially putting themselves in jeopardy by doing this, and we were just useful idiots or rubes at that point. 3.5. On December 14th, the fake electors meet and vote. On December 14th, using instructions provided by Chesbro, the fake Trump electors gathered and participated in signing ceremonies in all seven states, In five of these states—Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Wisconsin—the certificates they signed used language that falsely declared themselves to be the duly elected and qualified electors from their state. This declaration was false because none of the signatories had been granted that official status by their state government in the form of a certificate of ascertainment. The paperwork signed by the fake Trump electors in two other states contained partial caveats In New Mexico, the document they signed made it clear that they were participating on the understanding that it might later be determined that we are the duly elected and qualified electors. In Pennsylvania, the document they signed indicated that they were participating on the understanding that if, as a result of a final non-appealable court order or other proceeding prescribed by law, we are ultimately recognized as being the duly elected and qualified electors. All seven of these invalid sets of electoral votes were then transmitted to Washington, D.C. Roman's team member in Georgia, for example, sent him an email on the afternoon of December 14th that affirmed the following, All votes cast, paperwork complete, being mailed now, ran pretty smoothly. Likewise, Findlay updated campaign manager Bill Stepien and his bosses on the legal team that the Trump team's slate in Georgia was not able to satisfy all provisions of state law, but still voted as legally possible under the circumstances, before transmitting their fake votes to Washington, D.C. by mail. On the evening of December 14th, RNC Chairwoman McDaniel provided an update for President Trump on the status of the fake elector effort. She forwarded President Trump's executive assistant an elector recap email, which conveyed that President Trump's electors voted not just in the states that won, but also in six contested states, specifically Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Minutes later, President Trump's executive assistant replied, it's in front of him, The Trump team and the fake electors also engaged in acts of subterfuge to carry out their plans on December 14th. For instance, a campaign staffer notified the Georgia participants via email that he must ask for your complete discretion. He explained that their efforts required complete secrecy and told them to arrive at the State Capitol Building and please state to the guards that you are attending a meeting with either Senator Brandon Beach or Senator Burt Jones. Indeed. Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that he tried to enter this group's meeting room, but a guy at the door called it an education meeting and scrambled when I tried to walk in. Former Michigan GOP chair Laura Cox told the select committee that an attorney who said he was working with the president's campaign informed her that the Michigan slate for President Trump was planning to meet in the Capitol and hide overnight so that they could fulfill the role of casting their votes in, per law, in the Michigan chambers. She said that she told him in no uncertain terms that that was insane and inappropriate, and that she warned Michigan's Senate majority leader as a precaution. Instead, the group of fake electors in Michigan signed their paperwork inside the state GOP headquarters where staff told them not to bring phones inside. 3.6 the fallout from the fake elector plan. In spite of the Trump campaign's efforts to give the fake electors votes the sheen of authenticity, they failed. The US Senate Parliamentarian noted in correspondence by January 3rd that materials from the Trump team's supposed electors in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania had no seal of the state and no evidence votes were delivered by the executive of the state for signature by electors. And as a result, these materials failed to meet requirements of federal law. Similarly, the Senate parliamentarian noted that the Trump team slates from Georgia, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania appeared to violate another statute which requires the approval of the governor for the substitution of electors. Meanwhile, the documents from Michigan and Wisconsin did not even arrive to Congress on time, so they also had missed the required statutory deadline. Several of the Trump team's fake electoral slates also failed to follow state rules specifying where they were required to meet. In Georgia and Wisconsin, state lawmakers or their staff appear to have helped participants gather inside their state capitals. But in Michigan, the fake Trump electors were blocked from entering the state capitol building. Despite this, they still signed documents attesting that they convened and organized in the state capitol in the city of Lansing, Michigan, and at 2 p.m., performed the duties enjoined upon us. That document had been signed earlier in the day off-site, and one of the signatories even told the committee she didn't join their march to the state capitol building because she didn't see a need to go. If the entire premise of the fake votes was not enough, these infirmities also meant that they had no legal relevance. In no way could they have ever been used by the vice president to disregard the real votes of electors chosen by the voters. In the weeks between December 14th and January 6th, President Trump's team continued to embrace the idea that the fake electoral votes had a purpose. Although Giuliani and White House speechwriter Stephen Miller made public comments on December 14th, suggesting that the uncertified Trump votes were merely contingent, that pretense was dropped in short order. For example, on December 17th, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said on Fox News that in numerous states, there had been an alternate slate of electors voted upon that Congress will decide in January. On December 21st, President Trump and Vice President Pence each joined parts of a White House meeting in which members of Congress from the Freedom Caucus encouraged the Vice President to reject Biden electors from one or more of the seven contested states. And days later, Eastman cited the existence of the fake votes in an email to Boris Epton, a member of the Giuliani legal team writing, the fact that we have multiple states of electors demonstrates the uncertainty of either. That should be enough. As discussed further in Chapter 5, that email contained Eastman's two-page memo proposing a strategy for January 6th based on the incorrect legal theory that Vice President Pence could assert some authority as President of the Senate to prevent or delay the election of former Vice President Biden during the joint session. Eastman's memo relied on the fake votes which the memo featured in the very first line 7 states have transmitted dual slates of electors when Eastman submitted his memo to Epstein he also copied Chesbro who had edited the memo and called it really awesome by that point Chesbro and Eastman were coordinating their arguments about the fake elector votes and how they should be used on January 1 2021 Chesbro sent an email to Eastman and Epstein that recommended that Vice President Pence derail the joint session of Congress. In it, he raised the idea of Vice President Pence declaring that there are two competing slates of electoral votes in several states and taking the position that only he or possibly Congress could resolve any disputes concerning them. Two days later, Eastman completed his second major memo advising President Trump and his team on strategies for January 6, again arguing that there were dual slates of electors from seven states and calling for Vice President Pence to assert power to act as the ultimate arbiter to take steps that could overturn the election, either by sending the election back to state legislatures to reassess, or by rejecting Biden's certified electoral votes from states in which there were also fake Trump electors. By early January, most of the fake elector votes had arrived in Washington, except those from Michigan and Wisconsin, undeterred. The Trump team arranged to fly them to Washington and hand-deliver them to Congress for the vice president himself. Freaking Trump idiots want someone to fly original elector papers to the Senate president, Wisconsin Republican Party official Mark Jefferson wrote to party chairman Hitt on January 4th. Hitt responded, Okay, I see I have missed a call from Mike Roman and a text from someone else. Did you talk to them already? This is just nuts. The next day, Trump campaign deputy director for election day operations G. Michael Brown sent a text message to other campaign staff suggesting that he was the person who delivered the fake votes to Congress. After sending the group a photo of his face with the Capitol in the background, Brown said, This has got to be the cover of a book I write one day, and I should probably buy Mike Roman a tie or something for sending me on this one. Hasn't been done since 1876, and it was only three states that did it. The reference to 1876 alludes to a controversy during the election about certain states' electoral college votes. President Trump and his campaign apparently had assistance from allies on Capitol Hill for this effort, including Senator Ron Johnson, his chief of staff, and the chief of staff to Representative Mike Kelly, although Senator Johnson has said that his involvement in that attempt to deliver fake elector paperwork spanned the course of a couple of seconds. On the morning of January 6th, Representative Kelly's then Chief of Staff texted an aide to the Vice President, Chris Hodgson, about hand-delivering the fake elector votes to the Vice President's team before the joint session, a message that Hodgson ignored. Just following up, any chance you or someone from your team can meet to take the Michigan and Wisconsin packets. According to the office of Senator Ron Johnson, Representative Kelly's Chief of Staff then had a phone call with Senator Johnson's Chief of Staff at 11.58 a.m about how Kelly's office could get us the electors because they had it. Shortly after 11.30 a.m., the Trump campaign's lead attorney in Wisconsin had texted Senator Johnson expressing a, need to get a document on Wisconsin electors to you for the VP immediately. Is there a staff person I can talk to immediately? Senator Johnson then put his chief of staff in touch with the campaign to handle the issue. Shortly afterwards, Senator Johnson's chief of staff texted Hodgson, Senator Johnson needs to hand something to POTUS. Please advise. When Hodgson asked what it was, the response he got was, alternate slate of electors from Michigan and Wisconsin, because archivists didn't receive them. Hodgson did not mince words. Do not give that to him, the vice president. He's about to walk over to preside over the joint session. Those were supposed to come through the mail. Those fake electoral votes, which the Trump team tried for weeks to manufacture and deliver, never made it to the vice president, but they would have been invalid even if they did arrive on time. The Trump team's activities were based on the false pretense that these fake electoral votes had a decisive role to play at the joint session of Congress. And yet any such role that they could have played would have helped unlawfully obstruct an official proceeding that determines how our nation carries out the peaceful transfer of power between presidents. Indeed, As the joint session approached, Senator Mike Lee had expressed grave concerns about the fake elector effort in a series of text messages to one of the Trump team's senior legal advisors. Although Senator Lee had spent a month encouraging the idea of having state legislatures endorse competing electors for Trump, he grew alarmed as it became clear that the Trump team wanted the fake electors' votes to be considered on January 6th, even without authorization from any state government body. On December 30th, Senator Lee texted Trump advisor Cleta Mitchell that January 6th was a dangerous idea, including for the Republic itself. He explained that, I don't think we have any valid basis for objecting to the electors because it cannot be true that we can simply object to any state's presidential electors simply because we don't think they handled their election well or suspect illegal activity. Senator Lee even questioned her about the plan's dangerous long-term consequences will you please explain to me how this doesn't create a slippery slope problem for all future presidential elections?
0: This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with sag Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at two zero dash zero eight dot com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.